Before starting today's story, I want to give a massive shout-out to my new patrons, Mike and Brian Smith, Bridget Adam, and Oakwood Comics. Thank you guys so much for showing your support, as it means the world to me. And it's people like you who are the reason I do this. I also want to give a special congratulations to the newlyweds, Mike and Brian, as I wish you a lifetime of happiness with each other. You guys deserve it. If you would like to become a patron and gain exclusive access to these stories, all while helping the channel, follow the link in the description and pledge your support. And now, on to the story. Cool spring air flowed through the driver's side window as I sat and watched from across the street. Only a real piece of shit would leave a wife and kid at home to spend time in a place like this. Madame Sterling's was probably the most well-known strip club on Canal Street. Although the most well-known thing about it, being the men who went there didn't come to just watch girls dance. Prostitution was never hidden very well in Hayden. But why hide if you had nowhere else to go? Not all the men who hung out in these parts were horrible people. But a real piece of shit was exactly what I was waiting for. Paulie Rizzo, Hayden City native and all-around scumbag, had been in there for about three hours already arriving immediately after Sunday dinner with his family at their home in the suburbs. They lived in a modest house a little bit out of the city and away from trouble. But that didn't stop Rizzo from going back into the city to find it. I knew he was there to see the girls, but also to meet with potential clients. You see, Rizzo was an all-around hustler. He always had been. To the best of my knowledge, he was mainly known as a drug guy. The kind of person who had or could get whatever substances someone was looking for. But more recently, it seems he had expanded his product line to guns. Russian guns in particular. I knew he had to have another spot in the city somewhere to keep his goods. And that was exactly what I intended on finding tonight. My search didn't start with Rizzo, though. It started at the Golden Mule, where I spoke with Ivan about a job his boss needed help with. Being recently unemployed and no longer on the force, I needed to earn again. But more importantly, I needed friends who I knew could have my back in this seedy and unforgiving city. I don't like to think of myself as a professional snoop, but getting to the bottom of things is all that I know. And I do it better than anyone else. I walked into the mule that night I decided to start working on my own. To my surprise, the Russians who owned the place already knew who I was. To make things even more surprising, I was also on their shit list for my involvement in taking a huge load of guns from them during my time with the force. At that point, I thought I had made a huge mistake by coming in here. 
until I remembered that I could offer something no one else in Hayden City could. Loyalty. What's the job? The guns you took from us and gave to the Italians. We want them back. I can find out who has the guns, but I'm not hired muscle. I can't promise you that I can get them back alone. That's no problem. Just tell us where they are, and we will take care of the rest. I don't want anyone getting killed over the information I give you. I can't promise you no one will get killed. But if it means that much to you, then bring them back yourself. If I do this for you, will your boss and his friends clear me for taking the guns to begin with? Yes. If you do this. <laughs> Drunken laughter cackled from outside the club as Rizzo and another man exited the front door. They stepped into his car and drove off down the street, with me following close behind. The two drove for a while, heading deeper into the city. I wondered where they were going at this hour. It was already pretty late, and I doubted they were going to another bar or club. Just then, the car slowed down and parked on a quiet residential street, right outside a small townhouse with dimly lit windows. Rizzo hopped out of the car and went inside. I knew the townhouse belonged to him because he pulled out the keys for the front door as he walked up the stairs. I sympathized with the man waiting in the car, knowing how anxious he must have felt. I was in his exact situation just a few days before. Finding any old Russian firearm in the city wasn't difficult at all. They were everywhere. My job was to find out who had them all, and was distributing them. I already knew the Italian Mafia were in possession of the guns, but made guys and families like the Imperiolis or the Mancinis wouldn't be the ones making hand-to-hand -hand deals. They would have outsourced to someone far less valuable which led me to Rizzo and his friend in the car. I worked my way up the ladder, starting with my good friend Johnny. He was always a bit of a gun guy. I knew that if I needed something, he would be able to help me. It all started with a simple pistol. A Makarov, to be specific. I told Johnny that I didn't want to buy the gun from him, but whoever he got it from. He put me in contact with a man from Columbus Park, an Italian neighborhood. This guy wasn't anyone special. He couldn't have been. Otherwise, I would have heard of him while I was a cop. I met with him in a little cafe. And just like I expected, he was your average street-level dealer. Everything about him screamed small-time gangster. He walked into the cafe with the works. Hair slicked back. Gold chains, gold bracelets. Shirt buttons open with the wife beater underneath. As soon as I saw the toothpick hanging out of his mouth, I knew I met this guy a million times before. He sat down across the table from me and said, So, what's you looking for? Looking for a Makarov. Oof. Nah, guy, you don't want one of those. What you really want is a Beretta. What makes you think I want that? The Maruski guns are on high demand right now. Everybody wants them. Beretta shoots a stronger round, 
holds more bullets, and it's cheaper. I knew it was beside the point, but I had to admit, this brain-dead thug was really selling me on the Beretta. That's all really nice, but my clients prefer Russian, so it's going to have to be a Makarov. Alright, it'll cost you. We left the cafe, got into his car and drove to an undisclosed location. During the ride over, we were completely silent. The guy didn't say a word. He didn't tell me his name and he didn't ask for mine. Honestly, I preferred it that way. If he knew why I was here and who I was working for, he wouldn't want me to know either. We pulled up outside an old apartment building and he told me to wait in the car. Only after he got out and walked through the front door was when the anxiety sank in. I wasn't nervous about getting ripped off or anything like that. My only concern was with him being a bunk lead. What if he came back with an old pistol that had been in circulation for years? Or some other off-brand make that had nothing to do with the load of guns I was looking for? Then it would be back to the drawing board and I would have to start all over again. He came out of the building a few minutes later with a brown paper bag in his hand. He opened the driver's side door, sat down, and handed it to me. I reached into the bag to reveal a brand new Makarov pistol, in pristine condition, and relief rushed over my body like wind on the subway. It was absolutely mint, just like the ones we lifted from the docks about a year ago, and it still even had the serial number on it. There you go. Happy now? Yes, very. Can you get more just like this one? I have a big order. How big of an order? I took a piece of yellow notebook paper out of my pocket, listing off a number of guns. The list contained ten of each kind of gun taken from the docks that night. In order, only the main distributor would be able to fill. As soon as he saw the list, shock and awe overtook his face. But more importantly, exhilaration entered his eyes, as he realized filling this order would land him a massive payday. Jesus, man. I'd hate to be someone you got a problem with. If you can get me these guns, that'll never be the case. But they have to be in the same condition as this one. Of course. Look, I know getting things from me is more expensive, but I only mess with quality. I can get everything on this list, but I gotta talk to someone first. I knew this man wasn't too bright from the jump, but the last thing he said only confirmed that belief. He had to talk to someone first. Most people would have said, let me make some calls, or I gotta get some things together. But he specifically mentioned someone, and I intended on finding out exactly who that someone was. I tailed him for the rest of the day, and for the most part, he didn't go anywhere interesting. He met some friends at a pool hall and shot pool for a while, and then went to a bar near his place, all the while going back and forth to and from his apartment making shady little deals. Things took an interesting turn at about 9 o'clock, when he went home and changed into a nice suit before leaving the apartment. The choice in clothing was much different from what he was wearing earlier, and I had to wonder where he was going with this change of attire. He started driving and I followed him. 
as soon as he went north on Highland Parkway. I knew he was going somewhere outside of the city. He drove that way for about an hour, and I slowly rolled the window down to let some fresh air in. It was nice to get a whiff of something that wasn't cigarettes or motor oil for once, and to see things like a tree that wasn't surrounded by sidewalk. Living in a city for so long, you forget there's an entire world outside of it, a world that isn't completely disgusting and overrun with human garbage. I heard myself think this thought out loud and realized that I'd find everything wrong with this place too if I stayed out here long enough. The guy slowed down and pulled into a small parking lot on the side of the road. The lot belonged to a tiny cigar lounge which had to be housing this someone my goonish friend had mentioned earlier. I decided to go inside after him at the risk of being seen, just to catch a glimpse of whoever he was meeting here. Inside, it was dark and smoky. I took a seat at the bar and kept my hat tilted low, as not to be noticed. My guy was sitting at the other end of the lounge, at a table with three other gentlemen. He and two of the others were sat on sofas at either sides of the table and the fourth man was sitting in a lounge chair at the end. The way their postures were directed at the man in the chair, I could tell that he was the one in charge. His hat was tilted very low as well, and I couldn't see his eyes from where I was at the bar. I had to get a closer look, so I got up and walked over to the bathroom. I cut through the middle of the room, just close enough to get a look, but far enough to keep some distance. Just as I walked past, he lifted his head up and looked right at me. We made eye contact, and there was no denying we looked each other dead in the face. Shit, I thought to myself. He saw me. I didn't know if this was an issue yet, but what I did know was that I had seen him before. Rizzo was his name. I remembered because my old partner Pat booked him on a Class A drugs charge a few years ago. Mostly heroin, but a few other things as well. Rizzo had a reputation for being a streetwise businessman. He didn't go to prison or anything like that, which leads me to believe he either ratted on some of his friends or struck a deal with Darnell involving money. Either way, it was known street life and dodgy dealings was his bread and butter. I stepped into the bathroom and started washing my hands. As I was at the sink, the door slowly crept open, and somebody walked in. This person went straight to the sink next to me, and started washing their hands too. I didn't look at him, but I could tell he was looking at me, and by the way he was looking at me, I knew it was Rizzo. What kind of guy goes to the bathroom just to wash their hands? The kind of guy who has a real fear of germs, or one who doesn't really need to go to the bathroom at all. Immediately I felt stressed by the entire situation 
and if my thug pal outside found out I was here following him, I would be in big trouble. I left the lounge and drove back to the city without any problems. I knew Rizzo had to be an important player in the game, but how important I wasn't sure. I had to find out more about him, but I needed to be more careful. He already saw me once, and if he did it again, I'd be toast. The next day, I called my old partner Pat at the precinct. I had him give me all the information he could on Polly Rizzo, and his whole situation was puzzling to say the least. The first thing Pat told me was his address in the suburbs. Quite a step up from the dope house he pulled Rizzo out of a few years ago. It was clear that he was moving his way up in the world. And it was also clear that he was getting very snug with the Italian mob. Being a second-generation Italian-American himself, it was only natural that a criminal like him would want to become friendly with the mafia and work his way up the ranks. But how friendly he was with the mafia remained in question. The second thing Pat told me was that Rizzo was seen having dinner with Carlo Imperioli, a very important member of the Imperioli crime family, and a made guy in every sense of the term. If Rizzo was having dinner with a guy like him, it would mean the two had some sort of relationship. I found this very odd, because when it comes to made guys in the mob, if you aren't one of them, you don't go near them. You don't talk to him, and you sure as hell don't eat with him. Everyone knew who the made guys were, and Rizzo wasn't one of them. So what was he doing eating with Carlo Imperioli? The whole thing just didn't add up, so I set out to find more. I tailed Rizzo the next day, starting at his family home. Everything about his family's appearance fit typical American suburbia. His wife and kid looked like nice and normal people, but Rizzo still carried his scummy criminal flair with him. He wore a gaudy tailored suit and obnoxious jewelry and drove a brand new Mercedes two-seater. For a man with a three-person family, it definitely said a lot about him. The neighborhood was nice too. I'm not sure what his neighbors thought he did for a living, but he looked so mobbed up, I bet you they didn't even want to know. His wife sent their kid to school, and he left the house to drive into the city. There he went to a cafe, clearly owned by some of his mobster buddies. Five of them sat outside, drinking coffee and talking about God knows what. The whole crew looked and acted like typical gangsters. The way they dressed, the way they moved, and they were all clearly earning as well. They each had expensive clothes and nice cars, but I didn't recognize a single one of them besides Rizzo. Obviously, Rizzo's crowd wasn't with the made guys, but I was positive he had to be the one selling the guns for the Italians. As I followed him throughout the day, he bounced between the cafe and a few places on Canal Street before leaving the city to go to the cigar lounge near his house, all the while meeting a slew of sketchy characters and either being handed or handing over an ambiguous bag of goods. He had to have the guns. I just needed to find out where he was keeping them. The next day held more of the same. More hand-to-hand drop-offs and pickups. 
At a certain point, Rizzo stopped off at a place I recognized, and it was there I saw a familiar face. The man who sold me the Makarov a couple days earlier was sitting outside the cafe we first met as he got up to greet Rizzo. The two went inside, and I wanted nothing more than to be a fly on the wall for that conversation, but I couldn't afford to get that close again. Rizzo had seen my face, and the other guy already knew who I was. The best I could do was park across the street and take a look through my bird watchers. The conversation they were having didn't seem like small talk, as both men had a look of intensity on their faces. I knew what they were talking about when the first man pulled out the yellow piece of notebook paper I gave him and handed it to Rizzo. The expression on his face upon looking at the paper said two words. Payday. The first man was definitely looking to fill the order I had for him, and it seemed Rizzo was the guy to make it happen. I wanted to avoid a confrontation with Rizzo if it was possible, so I decided to tail him until I found out where he was keeping the guns. I thought maybe if I found his safe house and it wasn't guarded, I could get the guns back myself. The next day was Sunday, and I received a call from my goonish pal. Come by my place in Columbus Park tomorrow. I'll have everything you asked for. Everything? Yeah, everything. That meant he was getting the goods from Rizzo at some point today. I had to keep a close eye on Rizzo to find out where the guns were. Hence why I saw him having Sunday dinner with his family, driving into the city to go to Madame Sterling's, meeting with our mutual friend, and now being parked outside this little townhouse, presumably to fill my large order of Russian firearms. So, like I said, I felt for the guy in the car. I had to keep a close eye on Rizzo to find out where the guns were. Hence why I saw him having Sunday dinner with his family, driving into the city to go to Madame Sterling's, meeting with our mutual friend, and now being parked outside this little townhouse, presumably to fill my large order of Russian firearms. So, like I said, I felt for the guy in the car, because I know what it's like to worry about somebody not delivering what you need. Rizzo was in the house for quite a while, and our thuggish friend waited patiently in the car. About 20 minutes had gone by, and I was starting to wonder what was taking so long. Just then, I heard the front door open, and Rizzo emerged from it with a bag. A big bag. He walked over to the trunk of the car and put the bag inside. Then he went back into the house and came out with another big bag, and then another, and another. That was my whole order sitting in the trunk of his car. The two drove off and went to the man's apartment in Columbus Park. Rizzo and the guy brought all the guns into his place, and then went their separate ways. 
I followed Rizzo all the way to Highland Parkway and stopped tailing him when it was clear he was going home to the suburbs. I then drove to the townhouse where he had the guns and decided to take a look for myself. When I pulled up to the townhouse, all the lights were off and it was clear no one was home. I walked up to the front door and began picking the lock and then drew my new mocker off before entering. Inside it was dark and it didn't seem like anyone was there. I took out my small flashlight and started looking around, trying to think where in this tiny townhouse Rizzo could have stashed all the guns. They were nowhere in sight. The only place they could be was in the basement. I searched for a door leading downstairs, but just then, I heard footsteps. I wasn't alone. The footsteps made their way toward the staircase and down the stairs. You idiot, I thought to myself. How could I expect a stash of guns this big to be unguarded? I upped my pistol in anticipation of whoever was making their way down the stairs. I was hoping I wouldn't have to use it coming in here. But now it looked like I didn't have much of an option. When I heard the footsteps get to the bottom of the staircase, the lights flicked on. I jumped back in shock, and so did the other man. My initial shock came from being found out, but was turned into confusion when I saw the other guy. He wasn't what I was expecting at all. Long baggy pajamas draped over his frail and shriveled up body. Big bushy eyebrows sat quivering on his wrinkly forehead as fear set into his old leathery face. This man wasn't a mobbed up stash house guard at all. He was just a scared old man who walked downstairs into his own living room to find a gun pointed at him. Please, don't shoot, he said. I had no intention of harming the helpless old man. But I couldn't put my gun down. I was frozen in place by shock and confusion. I thought I might have entered the wrong house. But a picture of Rizzo and his wife on the wall put that theory to rest. I then looked at the top of the staircase to find a younger woman clutching tight to a little girl. Terror had gripped them both, and rightfully so, at the sight of an armed stranger standing in their living room. I'm sorry, I said quietly, and lowered the gun. I walked out the front door and quickly to my car, before anyone else could see me. I drove straight home, and made sure no one was following me. In my apartment, I poured myself a tall glass of whiskey and threw it back. What the hell did I just walk into? All night I sat by the window watching everything that went by. I was paranoid. Fearful that Rizzo or one of those Italian goons was going to bust through my door at any minute and demand answers for my late night visit. The house clearly belonged to Rizzo. So who were those other people sleeping in it? I didn't get a wink of rest all night. I was too on edge about the stir I had caused and what the hell was going to happen to me if Rizzo found out. 
but beyond that I had to know more. My relentless curiosity forced me to dive deeper. After the sun came up, I went straight to the county clerk's office and looked up the address of that townhouse. It was registered to a Giovanni Rossi, the last remaining grandparent of Pauli Rizzo. The death certificates of the other three grandparents were there as well, all of them immigrating from Italy within the last 30 years, and all with the surname Rossi. It seemed that his grandparents were from the Friuli Venezia Giulia region of northern Italy, a farming province which bordered Slovenia. The longer I looked at the death certificates, the more Rizzo's situation started to make sense. Most of the recognized mob families originated from southern Italy. Practically none were farmers from the north. Pauli Rizzo's father was the first to immigrate to the U.S. And when he did, changed his name from Rossi to Rizzo. A surname more commonly found in southern Italy. Maybe he didn't want them to seem like poor farmers or something. But either way, it appeared as if he was trying to hide something. More information on the address listed residents Maria and Anna Rizzo at the townhouse. The woman and child I saw at the top of the stairs. The two had immigrated to the States earlier in the year, and I wouldn't be surprised if their surname was Rossi before coming here too. Their immigration papers listed Maria as Rizzo's cousin, and Anna as his niece. I was never a big fan of the guy, but I began to sympathize with him and realize why he was so hell-bent on making paper. He had a lot of people relying on him, and he couldn't afford not to be a big earner. Although he was a scumbag on the streets, he was the champion of his family, and a hero in the eyes of them. A closer look at his grandmother's death certificate gave even more interesting information. It listed her birthplace as Sazana, Slovenia. Suddenly it all made sense. Everything about him, and everything that he was doing. Rizzo presented himself like such an established mobster, because he wasn't one, and portrayed himself like a quintessential Italian-American wise guy because he wasn't one of those either. Sure, he had Italian heritage, but he wasn't of pure Italian blood. He was a quarter Slovenian, and that simply would not fly in the mafia. That's why he was doing all this work for Carlo Imperioli, sucking up and trying to prove himself as a valuable asset. I didn't know what Rizzo was thinking, that maybe he could suppress this information and become a made man, without the others finding out. Whatever his plans were, this piece of paper could be his downfall. So I discreetly cut it out of the binder and put it in my pocket. I left the county clerk's office and went straight to the Golden Mule. I walked in and approached Ivan as he stood behind the bar. Ivan, take this, I said. If I get killed, this envelope needs to go straight to Carlo Imperioli. What is it? 
just something to ruin the man who kills me. Ivan smirked. <laughs> Glad to see you are working hard, Ace. I didn't spend any time explaining myself to Ivan at the mule. I figured the Russians wouldn't know what to make of an old woman's death certificate if they decided to take a look at it. But giving it to Carlo and the Imperioles was my insurance against Rizzo. I arrived home and went straight to the medicine cabinet. I threw back a few pills and then the phone rang. Just before I picked it up, I realized who it was. Shit, I thought. It's that thug from Columbus Park with my guns. I completely forgot I was supposed to meet him today. I took my hand off the phone and let it ring. I didn't know what I was going to do about him. I didn't even have the money to buy the guns. It didn't matter. He wasn't important anymore. Rizzo was who I needed to focus on. It was clear a confrontation with him was inevitable. The big question was how I would play it. I sat at my desk, drinking, smoking, and thinking about what I would say to Rizzo if he was here right now. His grandmother's death certificate was my ace in the hole, but I didn't want to reveal it until a plan was set in place. You see, I could simply just extort Rizzo and force him to hand over the guns, or tell the Russians about him and get the guns back by force. But I didn't want to do that. He had too many people who depended on him. Innocent people who didn't choose this situation or deserve violence. I owed him an exit strategy. An arrangement that would appease everyone. Something to get the Russians their guns back. And allow Rizzo to earn without ruining his reputation with the mob. But what? As I sat and thought, the tiredness kicked in. Exhaustion entered my mind and body. I began to drift off, deeper and deeper into the realm of unconsciousness. Look at me, not him, you piece of shit. Yeah, I knew I seen you before, back when you was a cop. Small world. Don't get cute with me, you fuck. Why the hell did you break into my grandfather's house? The guns. I was looking for the Russian guns. Oh, what, the ones you helped steal and then sold to us? That was before, when I was on the force. I'm working for the Russians now. Wow, unbelievable. As if there weren't enough two-timing scumbags in this city. <sighs> they mean business, you know. They'll kill you. I already told them you have the guns, but I said I'd be the one to get them back. That was a bluff, but I could tell they believed me by the way they looked at each other. Well, you can tell your comrades to go looking somewhere else for those guns, because I'm not giving them up. If we can work out a deal, they don't have to get involved. For the sake of your family, please, come to an agreement with me. And why shouldn't I shoot you right here and now? Because if you do, they will come looking for you. Your wife, 
your kid, your grandfather, your cousin, and your niece. Concern and dismay settled into Rizzo's expression as he slowly lowered the gun. He then gave a look to his enforcer. Stay the fuck away from my family and forget about those guns, you prick. I lay there on the cold hardwood floor, wondering how I had been caught so off guard. The pain in my stomach wasn't as bad as the sensation in my chest. What kind of junkie investigator gets caught sleeping at their desk by the one guy they've been hired to investigate? The feeling was just downright embarrassing. It was only after the pain wore off and I got back up on my feet when I realized the bright side of the situation. If Rizzo wanted me dead, I'd still be on my apartment floor, bleeding out with a bullet hole in my head. But I wasn't. So that meant he bought my story about the Russians knowing his situation. The fact I was still alive also meant that he wasn't backed by the Italians either. If he was, Rizzo could easily take on the Russians. But the fact he didn't want trouble showed he was still independent. The only problem was his stance on the guns. He seemed pretty hardline about not giving them back. He was playing with fire as an independent dealer. By stepping on the toes of a larger crime group and not wanting to cut some type of deal. I wasn't quite sure what his endgame was. But at this rate, he was going to get himself and others killed. I had to make an arrangement that would satisfy everyone. And fast. I didn't know how much longer the Russians could wait before demanding results. Rizzo needed money, and the Russians wanted their guns back. Neither side would give up anything they felt was theirs. And someone was going to have to make up the difference. But who? Clearly getting made was more important to Rizzo than the money. He had to earn for the higher-ups to see his value. And selling these guns was his ticket into the big boys club. But he didn't necessarily have to sell them in order to make money. He could still get made by bringing in enough cash. And also by making sure the Imperioles didn't find out about his Slovenian grandmother. I was the only thing standing between Rizzo and getting made. He would have to play ball with me no matter what offer I gave him. But I was going to give him a good one. I thought long and hard about all the people making money illegally in Hayden. Surely someone could pay the difference for Rizzo's guns. Someone so rich that Rizzo's loss wouldn't even put a dent in their pockets. That someone was somewhere in this big dirty city. I'd bet money on it. Bingo. It was so obvious. How did I not think of it before? A solution that would get the Russians their guns, get Rizzo made, and keep his secret under wraps. I called our mutual friend. The goon I blew off about the big order of guns. I knew he would be pissed to hear my voice. But I had to ask him a favor. I told him I'd buy the guns if he could get me a meeting with Rizzo. A meeting in a safe place, 
just to talk. He seemed reluctant at first, but then said he could make it happen. I was set to meet Rizzo at the cafe in Columbus Park the next day. I wasn't sure how he would take my proposal, but he would have to take it. There was no other choice. I arrived at noon and walked through the front door. The cafe was empty, with only Rizzo sitting at a table in the back. Right as I walked in, he nodded at the man behind the counter. The fat old man took off his grease-stained apron and walked past me toward the front door. He flipped the sign to closed, put on his hat, and took a walk. I walked across the dining room floor and took a seat opposite Rizzo. I thought I told you to forget about those guns, you two-timing piece of shit. Forgetting about my job isn't an option. That's why I have an offer for you. Well, unless you want to buy them all, I'm not interested. Face it, Rizzo. You can't go to war with the Russians by yourself. And if you don't cut a deal with me, this won't end well for you and your family. Once I move these guns and get made by the Emperoles, none of it's going to matter. The Russians won't be able to touch me, and then I'm going to squash you and everyone you know. What makes you think the Imperioles would ever make a guy like you? Because I know how to hustle, how to earn, how to deal with punks like you. Punks who got nothing and leech off of everyone else. Last I heard, you have to be 100% Italian to get made. I'm sure Carlo and the rest of his family would be thrilled to find out you have a Slovenian grandmother, Rizzo. Or should I say Rossi? Rizzo's glare hardened, and scorn filled his eyes. In that moment, I could tell he wanted nothing more than to pull out his pistol and empty the clip into my head. But he knew better than to kill the only person keeping his secret unknown. I have her death certificate. And if you cooperate with me, no one else has to see it. You fucking piece of shit. You would never. I don't want to. I want to help you. How's a scumbag like you going to help me? There's a small underground casino in Chinatown that's flown under the radar the past couple years. They make a lot of money. And for some reason, the cops don't know about it yet. I can give you the information and put you in contact with a cop who will break you off a cut of the extortion. No way. I don't work for the police. It's your only option, Rizzo. You can't afford to do anything else. This way, you can still get money for the guns, still get made, and make a friend on the force. You think other made guys don't have friends in Hayden PD? You're crazy. Don't just do it to save yourself. Do it for your family. They need you. You're a real piece of shit, you know that? I slid a piece of paper across the table to Rizzo. On the paper was the casino's information, my old partner Pat's phone number, and the address of the Golden Mule. Make the call. Deliver the guns, and get the money. Your secret's safe with me, I said, as I got up and left. Rizzo's lip trembled with rage as he watched me walk away. He had anger in his heart, but he wasn't a stupid man. He knew what he had to do. The guns got delivered to the mule later that week, and I heard through the grapevine that Pat paid a visit to the Chinese casino. I know Rizzo got paid, 
because I didn't hear a word from him since our little meeting. Plus, the casino in Chinatown is still running. I went and bought the rest of the guns from my thug buddy in Columbus Park. And to this day, I still don't know his name. I had no real need for that much firepower. So I gave everything to Johnny for his help. His eyes lit up like the 4th of July when I popped the trunk and said they were for him. For a brief moment, everyone was happy. The Russians got what they wanted. Rizzo was well on his way to getting made. And not to mention Christmas came about nine months early for Johnny. I could sleep well knowing I was on the Russians' good side. And that no one wanted to kill me for any reason. I just wondered how long it could last. Sunshine and rainbows never had much of a home here. And calm moments never overstayed their welcome. But for now, I just have to enjoy it. You never know what tomorrow will bring in Hayden City.